Well, it's over. In a week or two, the nativity sets are going to get put away. The stars going to, well, in a month or two, the lights are going to come down and get put away. And shepherds and sheep will all go back in their respective boxes. Hopefully you got all of your eggnog drinking and cookie eating and movie watching in. I suppose over the next few days, if you want to sneak in a couple other Christmas movies that you didn't get done, you can take care of that. It's all going to be put away till next Christmas, and then we're going to, what? Drag it all back out, dust some things off, throw out the broken ones, and work all over again, I'm anticipating it, on connecting ourselves with the events of the Christmas story by the things that we put in front of us to see. And we want to feel connected to the season, so we do that. We've been trying to help us as a church family feel connected with Bethlehem. And unlike Maysville, Kentucky, I have personally never been to Bethlehem. I've never even been near there. I don't feel a real connection to Bethlehem because of visiting there. Up to the time of Jesus' birth, it was a never significant town. Not many people in the Middle East felt very connected to Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem is a part of a of Palestine called the West Bank, disputed territory. And the nation of Israel has walled off the area between it and Jerusalem. You might have noticed we're a little technically different this morning. So just try to picture the nice photos I had of the wall between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. A large 30-foot concrete wall covered with graffiti. The only way for people to get to visit the church of the nativity in Bethlehem is to go through checkpoints and gates and to move back and forth freely between that wall. You've got to show that you have some reason for your trip. For five weeks now, we have been trying to answer a question without asking the question. Here's the question. What does Bethlehem have to do with you and me? I'm glad you asked that. What does Bethlehem have to do with you and me? On the surface, not much. In fact, even talking about how Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem doesn't register with a lot of people. Why should they care about that? I hope to deal with that question today, and if you are a skeptic about all that, then I hope it'll give you a different way to think about it. And if you're already someone like me who is grateful for the whole purpose of the Christmas season, then I hope that you'll find some ways to help someone else find that it matters for them. To be real honest, You've got to admit, most of our culture's Christmas motif doesn't have a whole lot to do with us, does it? How do I relate to snowmen, penguins, elves, reindeer, and a large man dressed in a red suit? How many of you have ever ridden in a one-horse open sleigh? Three. How many of you actually have a picture print by Courier and Ives 
Same three. No, one. All right. How many of you have ever seen a sugar plum? All right. How many of you understand why there are 12 days of Christmas when there's only one day of Christmas? A few. How many of you have ever been visited by the ghost of Christmas past? Talk to me, please, if you have. How many of you have ever gone a-wassling? How many of you have actually eaten fruitcake? I'm sorry. <laughs> See, these things really don't have a lot to do with us as people. If somebody from an indigenous tribe were to spend last week in our neighborhoods, he'd probably be asking how all of this has anything to do with who we really are and what we really think. You know what? We should be asking the same questions. And we should be returning to the little town of Bethlehem as a great way to begin answering them. One of the stories that helps make a connection between us and this little town has to do with a person who was born there over a thousand years before Jesus. We've already talked a bit about King David and how Bethlehem was his hometown. In fact, David's birth there became Bethlehem's only claim to fame before Jesus was born. Remember hearing it in the Christmas story this year? As you heard that old familiar text, from Luke chapter 2, verse 3, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. You should try one of these today. If you're used to not pulling it open and looking at it, all right? To the city of David. Remember that David started his time on earth in obscurity. His great-grandmother was a woman from Moab who was rescued from poverty by a benevolent relative, a kinsman redeemer. His great-grandmother had been a prostitute in Jericho, formerly. So when it came to human pedigrees, David really couldn't look back and say he had much to go on. His own family didn't regard him as significant. He was the youngest, and as a boy, he was assigned to be the family shepherd. But God can take someone with a background like that, with obscurity like that, anyone, and use that person to accomplish his purposes, and that's what he did with David. So the unrecognized child of Bethlehem became Bethlehem's patron personality. The city's namesake. Gets even better. Psalm 89, verse 3, God made a promise to King David. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Wow. 
It's one thing for God to promise to bless you during your lifetime. It is another thing entirely for God to promise you that he's going to establish your throne forever and your offspring forever. And 19 kings later, the line of kings from David to the very end remained unbroken. Every king of Judah was a descendant of King David. Some of them were good, mostly they were not but all of them were of the line of David, just like God had said. And then for all of their rebelliousness to God, Judah was finally overpowered and exiled, like a mighty oak tree being cut off to a stump. It was felled. And even then, Isaiah prophesied that still someone from what was left of that nation, someone of the family line of Jesse, and his son David, someone was going to spring up. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Listen to how God talks about what's going to happen. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In the very back part of our backyard at home, there are honeysuckle trees growing. <clears throat> they smell nice, I guess. But I'm told they're a nuisance plant, and I have to agree. So I've worked over the past couple of years to try to clear out some of those nuisance honeysuckle trees, but I've learned this. There's two ways to get rid of them. There's the way that works and the way that doesn't. You can cut them off way low so that there's just a little stub of a stump sticking out of the ground. And guess what happens? That spring, they're just shooting up shoots all over the place. And you've got to keep cutting them down and keep cutting them down. The only way to get rid of them that works is to get underneath and remove the roots and pull the whole thing out. There can be just that little stump and another tree will try to grow back from it. That is the picture that God gave of David's line. That a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch would grow up. Many years later, Paul would say about David in Acts 13, verse 23, of David's offspring, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Jesus, as he promised, the shoot from Jesse. So Jesus, follow this with me, Jesus is born in the city of David, Bethlehem. He is also born through the family line of David. Several times in his ministry, people referred to Jesus as the son of David. And Jesus never once corrected this. He was the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He was the branch that would bear fruit. He was the offspring of David. He was the king whose throne would be established forever, just like God promised. Think about this. He was the son of David royally. He was the son of David geographically. He was the son of David genealogically. 
And if you count the fact that Jesus was the good shepherd, he was even the son of David vocationally. No wonder the city of David was the town that God chose for his son to make his entrance, Bethlehem. Okay. But what does Bethlehem have to do with you and me? Oh yeah, we were trying to answer that, right? I want to direct us this morning to an important teaching from the book of Hebrews that I think will answer that question. And so if you would please take out your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2, especially since we're not getting the, the graphics and text like we usually get up for you on Sunday morning. Hebrews chapter 2. I think it will answer this question. It speaks about Jesus. It speaks about why he came the way that he did. You know, if rescuing mankind had been up to me, I am sure I would not have planned it out the way that God did, would you? Would you have planned it like he did? Christmas would look a whole lot different if I had been in charge. This may not sound a whole lot like the Christmas story, but I want you to listen to this description of the way that Jesus came to earth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hang on to those words. God could have dealt with our sinful failures any way that he chose to. But have you noticed that God very rarely takes a shortcut? God very rarely takes the easy route when it comes to his ways of doing things. Just roll back through scripture and look at the stories. Mankind becomes completely evil. God has Noah build a huge ark. He floods the entire earth and repopulates it, starting all over again with just Noah and his family. God wants to separate a nation to himself, and so he allows the nation of Israel to start off as slaves, basically, in the land of Egypt and sends ten plagues and leads them out into the wilderness and leads them through the Red Sea, feeds them bread from heaven, water from a rock, has them arrive at Jericho, and in order to conquer it, march around it for seven days and then stop and yell. God comes to deal with our sin, and he takes on human flesh. He becomes one of us. He shares in this human experience that you and I have 
Not only does he offer himself in our place and take on the punishment that we deserve, but in doing this, he becomes completely credible when it comes to the human experience. Been there, done that. Jesus, can you even understand what it's like to be in my shoes? Answer, yes, and then some. Go to Bethlehem and see and start there. You and I understand this. You and I are flesh and blood. That pretty well summarizes us, doesn't it? At least this physical part of us. We all started out as a male and a female cell bound together, every one of us. And then dividing into tissue and organs until we were mature enough to start life outside the womb. And even then, we were born pretty much dependent upon others for everything. Like my dad used to say, when I was born, I had two distinct disadvantages. I was very young and very inexperienced. We all had to learn how to eat, didn't we? How to walk. Some of us learned how to eat really well, in fact. We had to learn how to walk, how to talk. We had to learn how to make good choices. We had to learn how to care for our physical bodies. We had to learn how to deal with temptation. And we even have to learn how to deal with death because eventually every one of us gets there. And that's the flesh and blood experience. Jesus himself partook of the same Things It says there in Hebrews, he had to be made like us in every respect. He has suffered temptation so that he is able to help those who are being tempted. In fact, he even experienced death so that he could destroy death itself. Yesterday, I don't know what your Christmas was like. I can tell you that ours involved Zoom one of the curses of COVID, Zoom. One of the blessings, too, to be together when we couldn't be. So we saw our kids and our grandkids, and we talked about, uh, we were very deliberate trying to make Christmas meaningful, even though we were on video trying to do it. I wish I could show you a picture of it. It might scare you, but... We wanted to do that and talk about the importance of giving here at Christmas time and we did that as a family clan together and so we told the kids that we were going to buy a goat through IDES, through International Disaster Emergency Services, we were going to buy a goat. They would be giving that goat to someone in need overseas. Maybe you've heard about that. They have a way that you can provide all sorts of interesting help to people in need and one of those is to provide a goat for a family that they can then use for milk sometimes even as a source of income. I guess goats are good for that. So we had the kids, we we're gonna get a goat, we showed them a picture of the goat from Ides even, showed them the goats and they got to name the goat. They named the goat Gary. Gary the goat. Now I'm not sure if Gary is gonna provide a lot of milk. Maybe we should have adjusted that to Geraldine, I don't know, but Gary the goat, they're pretty excited about Gary. So Gary's going to be showing up for somebody. Now anyway, can you imagine, just, can you imagine living in such conditions that for somebody to gift you a goat 
would be a wonderful, meaningful, important gift to you? Can you imagine that that's what your life is like? That you would get a goat and thank God for a goat? I don't even know where that goat's going to end up being delivered. I just realized that there's somebody on the other end. There's somebody who has that deep of a need just for life's basic necessities that a goat would help them. Here's the point. I won't say I can relate to that person's experience. I'm not going to say that. It'd be foolish, wouldn't it, for me to send a note along with Gary the goat that says to whoever gets Gary, hey, I understand how it feels to be in your shoes if you have them. Because I can't even begin to understand what that's like. But what if I found out where that country is what if I studied up about that third world country and I learned about the village that they're in maybe I could even begin to relate to that experience that they have in life a little what if I stepped it up what if I went to visit them and what if I followed up on Gary the goat his new home if I took a week, I went to that village and I smelled the smells and I ate the food and I slept on the ground that they slept on, then maybe I could begin to say to that family, you know what, I understand a little bit what you're going through. But not entirely. What if, though, <clears throat> I unloaded everything that I call my own? What if I got rid of all of it? And I went to live in the middle of that village in poverty alongside that family to live there. What if I became one of them? Then I could say, I understand what they experience, couldn't I? And then they could trust me and they could believe that I really do understand. You hear the point. When we consider a baby placed in a manger in Bethlehem like we have been doing for a month now, we need to consider that this is the way that God comes near to mankind. Jesus left heaven behind, all of it, for us to become one of us. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son this is how he can be the best help to people who are being tempted because he himself has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He understands what it's like to be a human being. That's not the only reason that Jesus came to earth. This is also, though, how he can assure us that when we face it, we don't have to fear death because he's experienced it and conquered it. Jesus traveled down that road in a way that none of us have to face. And that is how God draws near to us. So what do we do about all this? I got some suggestions, three of them. Here's the first one. Because this is true, here's something that we do. We place ourselves alongside those who are struggling. We place ourselves alongside them. 
Jesus didn't just put himself on earth. He also put himself right in the middle of people who had made a mess of their lives. Sinful women who had bad reputations, needing someone to genuinely care about them. Tax collectors who tried to get rich off of others. Fishermen with mixed up priorities and common folks who were just kind of wandering around in life. See, if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to involve ourselves in the lives of people who need help. Amen? And it will often be uncomfortable. And it will sometimes be misunderstood. Jesus was. But if we're going to follow the example that Jesus gave, starting by being born in Bethlehem, then we must be willing to be near people who need help. Here's the second thing that we do, because this is true, and that is we don't excuse ourselves for sinning. Ouch. Jesus' experience as a human being makes it clear that sin is a choice, doesn't it? Because he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and then he chose every time that he was tempted not to sin. Every time. You know what the hardest temptation is? The hardest temptation that there is is the one you say no to. Anytime you don't say no to temptation, you're just taking the easy road. You're not resisting it. it. Takes less struggle to give in. Guess what? Jesus said no every time. Too many people make a decision to sin while presenting themselves with some lame excuse. I had no choice. It's really not that big of a deal. Lots of other people are doing it. It won't hurt anyone else. Do you think that Jesus, who said no to every temptation, would validate any of our excuses to sin? We don't excuse ourselves for sinning. Here's the third thing we do. And that is we love the one who has shown such love to us. You know, when we hold a human baby and we love that baby, it's not because that baby has done so much for us, is it? In fact, that little pear-shaped individual spends the first months of his or her life being a very self-centered little individual. And you don't love that baby because of what he does for you or what she does for you. You just love that little one because he's cute or because she needs you. Or somehow, for some reason, you choose to love that baby. Not so when you consider the baby in the manger at Bethlehem. That baby just by being born a human being, has already shown incredible love for you. It's always easier to love someone who has loved you, isn't it? He's already shown that. He's already given up what was his so that you could be helped by him. Don't look at him and cuddle him and say how cute he is. 
Be like the Magi and fall down before him and worship him. And open up your treasure to present him with gifts. If being loved by someone makes it easier to love him or to love her, then it follows that we should love the one who became one of us to rescue us from our sin. Can I get a, hey, that makes sense. Even though Christmas was yesterday, let us go to Bethlehem, the city of David, where David was born where Jesus was born. Can't help getting around how David is a bit of a preview of Jesus. David was a shepherd. Jesus said he's the good shepherd. David became king. Jesus is king of kings. We need both. You and I need both. We need a good shepherd because as it says in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. We need the Lord to be our shepherd so that we'll not be in want, so that we won't fear when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we need the King of Kings because we're seeking to be a part of Jesus' kingdom. We're seeking a homeland. We're seeking a better country, a heavenly one. And we need him as king in our lives because there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We need King Jesus. And that is what Bethlehem has to do with you and me. It's where God comes to save us. That might be you this morning that needs to be saved. I hope that you think about the manger of Bethlehem and you see something other than a cute baby. I hope that you see Jesus Christ who has come to save you. Maybe this morning you're ready to make the decision to follow him and to receive that gift and to accept him. A gift that he has been extending to you your whole lifetime And he's inviting you this morning to accept it. How appropriate would it be this day after Christmas 2021 to accept the gift of life from Jesus Christ? If you're online and you want to make that decision, we would love to help you in that. Just make a connection with us, cccrockford.org slash connect. We'll get in touch with you. We'll follow up with you and talk to you about how to become a follower of Jesus. If you're here this morning, that's a decision you need to make. You can do that right here today. You today could begin a new walk, a new life in Jesus Christ. We want you to speak to us about it. So I'm going to step down from here in a moment. I'll be on this front row. And if you're here and you want to make that decision, would you please come sit down next to me and talk to me about your relationship with Jesus. If you don't like me, Talk to Brian. Talk to the other Brian. Talk to your friend who brought you today. Talk to your spouse who's been praying for you that you would make that decision. Talk to somebody about your relationship with Jesus. Rather than sing a song together, we're going to hear a song today. 
as we think about what we're going to do with God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Bethlehem. Thank you for the city of David. Thank you for the stories surrounding that otherwise seemingly insignificant city where you came near, where your love was spelled out in certain terms. And we can know that you've been among us. We thank you for Jesus today. Father, I pray that it will not be a story just for us to dig out of a box once a year, but a story that we live with every day. Lord, today there are some who need to make the decision to follow you. Please, let your word do its work. We ask in Jesus' name.